Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. Beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Beyond the Bell presents the Stone Cold Chronicles, the history of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, back with you once again. And I'm proud to chronicle the legendary career of Stone Cold Steve Austin. On this edition, we'll focus in on the years 1995 and 1996 in Steve Austin's unforgettable life. This edition, you'll find out what led to Eric Bischoff firing stunning Steve Austin from WCW. Relive the debut of the extreme superstar Steve Austin in ECW. Listen to retro audio featuring the Stevester and WCW Monday NyQuil, which was featured on ECW Hardcore TV. Follow Austin as he signs with the World Wrestling Federation and debuts under the guidance of the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, known as the Ringmaster. Find out how the Stone Cold character was born and relive the infamous Austin 316 speech from the 1996 King of the Ring. Also, learn about Austin's feuds with Mikey Whipwreck. The Sandman, Savio Vega, and Brett the Hitman Hart. Listen to old school audio featuring good old JR, Jim Ross, Eric Bischoff, Ted DiBiase, Brett Hart, Jake the Snake Roberts, and many more. Coming off the heels of a successful two year period in WCW, Sky seemed to be the limit for Steve Austin. What a turn his career would take. And within another two-year time span, he would be in two other promotions. If you look back at it, within a three-year time frame, Austin found himself in the top three promotions in the world. And in each promotion, his character changed and evolved. And eventually, what we found out to be the result would be the Stone Cold character. This is a pivotal two-year period in the career of Steve Austin as he comes off being fired via FedEx from Eric Bischoff, being injured, having to recuperate in extreme championship wrestling where he really got to hone his promo skills. And we actually found the character inside Steve Austin and the Stone Cold Beast was born during this two-year period leading to the 1996 King of the Ring, where Austin 316 was born. Get ready, sit back, and relax as we cover this historic two-year time frame in the career of Steve Austin. Ringside Collectibles is the number one online retailer for the newest and hottest professional wrestling action figures. Since 1995, Ringside Collectibles has been the industry leader in professional wrestling figures and collectibles 
and are known worldwide for their high quality, their service, and detailed looks at your favorite wrestling figures, including top quality photos and a renowned YouTube channel. Simply put, they are here to help you. They know how hard it can be to find brand new WWE figures in your local stores. That is why they strive to provide you with the best possible wrestling figure shopping experience on the web. You can check out the latest releases at ringsidecollectibles.com and wrestlingfigures.com to stay on the pulse of what's new, hot, and exciting in the world of wrestling action figures Follow Ringside Collectibles on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Ringside C. Ringside Collectibles, the home for the professional wrestling action figure fan. So there I am, floundering along. There's nothing going my way because the politics in WCW kept the biggest potential superstar in wrestling on the damn ground. What are you supposed to do? On one hand, they're paying you a bunch of money. They're paying me a bunch of money. Well, on this hand, they're telling me, hey, go out there and give Bagwell a hell of a match. Go out there with an 18-year-old German kid. Give him seven good minutes. Let people see what he can do. They say you are what you eat. In WCW, they didn't feed me nothing but garbage. So I let myself become garbage. I became complacent with everything that they said. As long as Big Ted kept sending in the checks, maybe I wasn't happy with what was going on, but I became complacent. Then they send me to Japan, the big injury. Bischoff delivers a shot heard around the damn world. Steve Austin's out of the high-paying job. All of a sudden, the phone starts ringing off the hook. It's ECW. It's the WW. It's all Japan. It's New Japan. And all Steve Austin's got to do is make a decision. ECW is going to find out firsthand what Steve Austin can do. edition of the Stone Cold Chronicles, Steve Austin once again was out of the spotlight in WCW. He returned to WCW in February of 1995, coming back under the tutelage once again of Colonel Robert Parker. There were some thoughts that Austin might rejoin Flying Brian Pillman to bring back the highly successful Hollywood Blondes, but for some reason, it never occurred. Austin stayed in the mid-card of WCW, rarely getting any title opportunities. 
Then, in May of 95, Austin looked into actually leaving the company. But in actuality, he was talked back by Eric Bischoff. Though Austin's knee continued to trouble him, and during a tour of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Austin tore his triceps muscle. This put him on the injured reserve list once again. In what's usually considered one of the biggest mistakes in WCW history, Eric Bischoff opted to call Austin on the phone and fire him in September of 1995. Despite the injury, Bischoff later was quoted by Austin as saying that Austin was not marketable as a main event wrestler. WCW sent me on a wrestling tour of Japan. It was a three-week tour that included me, Arn Anderson, Ron Simmons, also known as Farouk in WWE, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and a couple of other guys, all great workers. On the third night of the three-week tour, I jumped off the ropes to give a guy a splash, a simple, stupid splash. Unfortunately, he moved, and I landed wrong on my right arm and tore my right tricep muscle off my elbow. I ended up wrestling for two and a half weeks with a torn tricep and a sore knee which I don't recommend to anyone, but I didn't miss a single show. After I got back to the U.S. and went and got all the medical exams, the doctor told me how bad it was. The next day, I was in surgery getting my tricep reattached to my elbow. Soon afterward, I got a phone call from Janie Engel, who worked as Eric Bischoff's assistant. Bischoff, a former announcer, was running WCW for Ted Turner at the time. Janie said, Hey, Steve, give Eric a call when you get a chance. I gave Eric a call and got put on hold. Then he picked up the line and said, Steve, it's Eric. I said, what's going on, Eric? He said, I just want to let you know that based on the amount of money that we're paying you and based on the number of days you've been incapacitated, we're going to exercise our right to terminate the agreement. I thought about it for a second and said, well, basically you're telling me I'm fired, right? Fired from my contract, which was bringing me $300,000 a year at the time. And he said, yeah. And I said, I got fired by WCW. He actually told me that I'd never amount to anything, and then he fired me. I'll never forget that day. At the time, it wasn't much fun. But looking back, it actually turned out to be one of the best days of my career. Were you captivated by the Austin character? Because, you know, the story's been told so many times. You, know, you, you, you didn't see anything in him. He'd been hurt a lot. He felt like that the investment was not what it, you, it should have been. He gets a FedEx saying, you know, you're released as the story goes. Uh, did you catch yourself looking at it? In hindsight, saying, gosh, yeah, I may have made a mistake with this guy. Not at all. Not at all. And that story has been told and retold and, and, and turned and twisted so many different ways by so many different people over the years that, that I start to believe it myself when I read it every once in a while. But the truth is, and Steve and I have talked about this, you know, the reason I let Steve Austin go wasn't because I didn't see anything in it. It wasn't because there was a lot of injuries, although Steve had, had suffered some injuries. The reason I let Steve go and the we reason that I fired him you know, by FedEx you know, is... Quite frankly, because, you know, we expected Steve to show up uh, at center stage, which you know very well, Jim. Even though he was hurt, we wanted to come down and we wanted to keep him alive on television. We wanted him to do, a, to, to do an interview on camera. And as, you know, truth be known, WCW at that time wasn't the most organized uh, company in the world. And whether we were organized or not, we knew that Steve was in Atlanta. We wanted to come down to do TV. And I sent Tony Schiavone. Uh, I said, man, you've got to find Austin. We need him down here because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Uh, the way this story, uh, the way that Tony brought the story back to me is he called Steve's house. Steve's wife answered the phone, said, well, Steve, it's WCW. They need you to come down. And, you know, Tony came back to me and said that he heard Austin in the background said, tell them sons of bitches they can kiss my ass. <laughs> and when that story got back to me, I thought, that's fine. 
I'll kiss it by FedEx. Thank you very much. And, that was, and that's why I fired Steve, and that's why I fired him by FedEx, quite frankly. Austin now found himself looking for a new home in professional wrestling. I've told Eric Bischoff several times since he joined WWE that one of the best things he ever did while he ran WCW was to fire Austin because we would end up signing Steve, and the rest is history. Eric did many good things managing WCW, especially when you consider the success of Monday Nitro. That was great competition, which made both companies work smarter and more aggressively. Actually, Eric is not the first boss to fire a talent who went on to become a star, and he won't be the last. I'm just happy that Bischoff pulled the trigger prematurely on the unmarketable guy with the short black boots and black tights. He received a call from a friend a former manager of his in WCW, Paul E. Dangerously, a.k.a. Paul Heyman, gave him a call and said, come on over and vent your frustrations on my show. It's called ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling. And shortly thereafter, the Stevester appeared in Extreme Championship Wrestling. This is where he parodied the Hulkster Hulk Hogan. This was the birth of of the extreme superstar, Steve Austin. I remember I hadn't been fired, but for maybe 24 hours. The next day, it seems the phone rings. It's Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman, dangerously. He goes, hey, Steve, what's going on? I said, oh, not much. He goes, uh, why don't you come down and work for us at ECW? And I, I told him flat out, I said, Paul, I said, my arm's hurt. I said, I can't even work yet. I can't, I can't wrestle. He goes, you don't have to wrestle. Just come down and cut promos. And, uh, well, that was a no-brainer. I said, okay. I never really got a chance to cut a lot of promos in WCW. Every, every now and then they'd throw a microphone in front of uh, me and Brian, but nothing with focus or any kind of intent to develop some mic skills. So uh, I just remember that weekend I was headed down to Philadelphia where ECW was located at the world-famous ECW arena. And uh, Paulie just put a microphone in front of my face and said, there you go. And basically, you know, I'd tell him, you know, well, what do you want me to talk about? He goes, just talk about anything. And uh, that's how I got my start down here in ECW. You better know. You better go find some noise. We've got people going on. We've got a fight going on. Steve. You're Steve Austin. You know, that's where you're wrong, Mean Joy, because Steve Austin doesn't have what it takes to get it done in the ECW, brother. I was never allowed to reach mid-card status in the WCW, brother. So you know what, dude? I looked at the greatest heavyweight champion of all time, brother, and I knew that I had to save my friends. I had to take the vitamins. Brother, I had to start training again. I had to get my mind right to do what it takes to get it done in the ECW, dude. And let me tell you something. I've been saying my friends. Oh, This was truly the beginning of the Stone Cold era. Austin mainly worked on the mic during his time in the Federation, still recovering from the injury that cost him his job in WCW. 
And I guess it's time for a visit from the extreme superstar, Steve Austin. Yeah, stop it. A couple of people got smart with me on the way to the building today and said I was a Hulk Hogan wannabe. One of them said I looked like Hulk Hogan. I've been crapped on for four years. I believe I deserve a break. I didn't get to climb a ladder to the top in WCW like this. <laughs> I'm up here all the way at the top and I look down and I see two jabronis. And from the places I've been, about a $5 piece of ass. Oh! Whipwreck, you amaze me, son, because you're a go-getter. You ain't got no quit in you. You don't know what the word quit means. I respect you for that. But you're still just a loser in my book, son. Nice guy. This is Steve Austin talking to you. And if I'm calling you a loser, you can damn well bet it's the truth. What a jerk. Keep drinking a few more beers. Smoke a couple more cigarettes because, yeah, you're sure you're really, really cool. Brother, I'm going to get your ass in a ring and I'm going to run circles around you. And when your tongue's hanging out there by your feet and I'm walking off with a damn belt in my hands, you're going to wonder, what the hell was I thinking? That's Steve Austin. On second thought, maybe I like him. It's not a Mikey Whipwreck. It's not one of the misfits back here in that godforsaken dressing room, man. This is Steve Austin. Don't get me wrong, hey. I could rustle up $5, and if I had a clothespin to put on my nose, I'd give you a try. Woman, none too happy about those and comments. Don't even think about looking at me pissed off, honey, because it's you that married a midget, not me. both of you guys Set the phone wishes. I hope one of you kills each other because whoever comes out on top goddamn you're looking at the next champ right here well I believe in his own humble way Steve Austin just challenged the winner of this matchup to a world title matchup he also inserted himself into the main event of ECW challenging Mikey Whipwreck on numerous occasions for the ECW world title. Austin found a way to get that shot at November to Remember 95 when he attacked the scheduled number one contender, the Sandman, taking him out of the match. Austin then took his place against Whipwreck for the ECW title. Saying that, for the next few minutes, Whipwreck's name would be Eric Bischoff. Austin allowed this to channel his rage, dominating Whipwreck in the early going, it seemed inevitable that Austin would win the championship, especially after stunning Whipwreck. But Austin played to the fans a little too much, allowing Whipwreck to roll Austin up to get the upset win over the extreme superstar, Steve Austin. Austin looks to be in great shape for somebody who had a four-month layoff from the torn tricep. He's got a move out of Philadelphia. He's a- Just pinned Steve Austin in the middle of the ring. Austin Clark. 
Mine's Mikey! Austin got another shot at December to dismember 95, taking on Whipwreck and the Sandman in a three-way dance. Austin was again strong in the match, and in fact, he eliminated the champion first, pinning Whipwreck. This left Austin and the Sandman, and the two men had a bitter brawl, with the Sandman surprisingly getting the win and the ECW world title. This was done by pinning Austin with his feet on the ropes. Once again, Austin felt robbed of the gold. Still, Austin's rising talent and character in ECW had opened some eyes about his future in the business. And soon enough, Steve Austin was contacted by Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. This led Austin in one year to be a part of all three major organizations in North America at the time. When you look back at Steve Austin's career, it seemed like his tenure in ECW was truly a cup of coffee. But it truly was an important cup of coffee, as, like we mentioned, it was the beginning, truly the beginning, of the Stone Cold era. This is where Austin found himself channeling his frustrations and rage with the business and Eric Bischoff and WCW into this extreme superstar character, in turn which was shades of the Stone Cold character. After I was fired by Eric Bischoff, just about the time that my tricep was getting well enough for me to think about doing some things, Paul E. Dangerously, or Paul Heyman, the guy who had managed me in WCW, called me up out of the blue. He was running ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, a small but popular group in Philadelphia. It had a cult following that loved ECW's violent and hardcore style. Anyway, he called me and said, Hey man, why don't you come up here and work for us? I said, Paul, my arm's still messed up. I can't wrestle just yet. He said, that doesn't matter. Come on up and we can cut some promos. You'll just talk. I'll pay you $500 a show. I was thinking... He's going to pay me 500 bucks a night just to cut promos? Hell, man, I'm in. And he gave me an opportunity and a platform to vent all the years of frustration that had been built up from WCW. The interview skills I later used in WWE were actually developed and refined during my short stint with ECW. I wasn't stunning Steve anymore. I had cut my hair off when I was in WCW. I was in the process of growing it back. It was medium length, almost on my red neck again. My gimmick there was that I was now coming out of WCW, which was a much bigger organization than ECW, so I was, of course, a superstar. They called me the extreme superstar Steve Austin. People were watching that ECW stuff and seeing what I was doing since I was fired from WCW. It was outrageous stuff and a lot of fun to do while I was healing up. I was only there a few months. I cut scathing, sarcastic promos on WCW and on Bischoff. I also did bad impersonations of Hulk Hogan. It was a lot of funny stuff but I was learning how to cut promos and my character became more defined. We saw a different side of Steve Austin. The golden locks that Steve Austin proudly displayed himself when he debuted as Stunning Steve Austin, then cut his hair short, part of the Hollywood Blondes, was chopped off entirely, receiving a partially bald look for the future Rattlesnake. ECW gave him the opportunity to express his opinions, express his views, express a different comedic side and entertaining side of Austin with the Stevester parody and the parody of Eric Bischoff. Hi, I'm Beulah, and welcome to Beulah's Box. This week, my box is going to get an up-close and personal feel for something that's a big stick of dynamite. TNT. You never know when it's going to explode. And best of all, it's alive. Welcome to Monday Night Wall, where the big boys play with each other. I apologize for the balloons, 
but I had to fire the pyrotechnician guy because he couldn't show up. I did it over the phone, no less, but I had to fire him. Okay, right here with the big boys playing with each other on my right. As of always, Bongo. Bongo, how you doing? Okay. Now the brain couldn't be here tonight. Pan over here to where the brain's supposed to be. Brain couldn't be here. So I had my secretary leave a message on his answer machine, and when he calls me, I'm going to fire him on the phone just like I did Austin because that's the way I deal with people. I'm not a very brave man, and that's the bottom line. Okay, big show tonight. Like I said, if you're watching another channel, get over here. If you're thinking about watching another wrestling promotion, don't do it because this is the only one that's live. Okay, big main event tonight. Never before seen on TV. The most dangerous match in the world. You're going to see it right here on Monday Night Quill. Oh, yeah. Yes, right here on Monday Night Quill. Bottle of Geritol on a pole match. First time ever in the world. You're going to see all the old codgers here in our organization, and they're going to be scrapping around and using their walkers, trying to keep the dentures in, and they're going for it because this is the hottest show on TV. Brother, this is the bottom line. We're number one. Did I repeat that I already fired the brain over the phone? Oh, yeah. This is where the big boys play with each other. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you that we're number one? Okay. I'm going to get up. Okay. The cameraman's telling me we got to go to a break. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know the names of any of the holds, but I'm going to sit here and fumble around and bubble around. And if I put you to sleep, if I don't put you to sleep, the matches probably will. So bear with us. This is Monday Night Quill, and we're alive. Tell me, wake up. Hey, fire, fire, fire. Oh, I'm sorry if, if you went to sleep just like I did. And probably if it wasn't me, it was a match. I know it was boring just like everything we do here is boring. But next week, we're going to be here live where the big boys play with each other. Oh, I, I can't wait. ECW allowed him to spread his wings, therefore being noticed by the World Wrestling Federation, which in turn would change professional wrestling forever. A short stint, a cup of coffee, and ECW changed the business for a lifetime. One of the biggest things I enjoyed about ECW was Paul E was so good at working with talent and, and trying to help them reach from within, wherever it was. And I didn't care what your gimmick was. He had a real knack to do that with anybody he worked with. And one of the first promos I did, we were down in a, in a basement in a hotel in Philadelphia. It was about 4.30 in the morning. And Paulie says, all right, Steve, uh, you're up next. And I'm sitting there and I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? I don't, know what, I don't know what to say. He goes, just talk about anything you want. And uh, he just kind of kept coaching me there for a little bit. and said, Steve, just, just, just let it fly. Talk about what you want to talk about. I was extremely frustrated at the time with Eric Bischoff, with Dusty Rhodes, the booker, with, with the whole system at WCW. And uh, the interview that, that followed was one of my favorite promos of all time, where I just got a chance to get a lot of stuff off my chest, talk about who I wanted to be in the future, about what I'd let myself become in the past. And, uh, you know, as bad as the system was in WCW, that was a system. And when I look back, I had every right to be pissed off. But, you know, when I look back also, they had every right to fire me, but those ECW promos uh, were some of the, uh, the most fun promos I've ever done and the biggest load off my back for someone to say, hey, Steve, just go ahead and start running your mouth. 
And those interviews would, would really become the uh, the launching pad for the Stone Cold prom promos, which would follow a couple years later. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when Eric Bischoff told his secretary to tell her secretary to leave a message on my answering machine for me to call Eric Bischoff, and then I called Eric Bischoff, and he proceeded to fire me over the phone. I thought a big cloud was lifted off the career of Steve Austin. Because gone were the days where I'd go up to someone and say, Hey, what about me and Sting? We got this big thing going. How about the cage? And someone says, No, baby, that's for somebody else. We're just going to keep you right with you at right now. Well, then I said, well, how about me and Savage, man? I got this great idea, man. He comes in, he's got the Slim Jim deal. Well, hell, I got... No, Steve, that's for somebody else, baby. <laughs> then you go, I got this great idea I can do it with Hulk Hogan. I'm going to be the Steve-O-Maniac, and we're going to take this thing all the way. Because Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania was the biggest thing to ever come down to wrestling's pike. And they say, no, that's not for you, brother. You can't do that. We're going to keep you right where you are. I said, how about me and Brian get back together? The Hollywood Blondes, it was the best tag team to come along in 10 years. And they say, no, Steve, we need you in a singles role, man. We need you to do this. We're going to put the U.S. title on you, and then we're going to take you here. And then you're the number one contender, so then you got this world title shot. Well, all that shit never happened. So there I am, floundering along. There's nothing going my way because the politics in WCW kept the biggest potential superstar in wrestling on the damn ground. What are you supposed to do? On one hand, they're paying you a bunch of money. They're paying me a bunch of money. Well, on this hand, they're telling me, hey, go out there and give Bagwell a hell of a match. Go out there with an 18-year-old German kid. Give him seven good minutes. Let the people see what he can do. They say you are what you eat. In WCW, they didn't feed me nothing but garbage. So I let myself become garbage. I became complacent with everything that they said, as long as Big Ted kept sending in the checks, maybe I wasn't happy with what was going on, but I became complacent. Then, they send me to Japan, the big injury. Bischoff delivers a shot, heard around the damn world. Steve Austin's out of the high-paying job. All of a sudden, the phone starts ringing off the hook. It's ECW. It's the WWE. It's all Japan. It's New Japan. And all Steve Austin's got to do is make a decision. Todd Gordon, whether he mortgaged his house one time, two times, maybe three times, came up with the right figure for Steve Austin to make a decision. I stroll into the ECW arena. It's the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen. I broke in 
in a building called the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, home of the world-famous Von Erichs. Anybody that was anybody stepped foot in a Dallas Sportatorium. For the last two years, all you've heard about anywhere in wrestling is the famous ECW arena. Debut night, I roll in, you've got the Sandman, you've got the Raven, you got the Pit Bulls, you got Stevie Richards, you got the Public Enemy, you got the Gangsters, you got Mikey Wickrep, whatever the hell his name is, you got a bunch of damn misfits running around thinking that they can actually wrestle. All I've seen in ECW is a bunch of violent crap. And that's exactly what I'll call it, because that's what it is. Steve Austin is here to wrestle. It's what I do best. It's what I do better than anybody in the world. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, They've got the big send-off. Tears were in everybody's eyes. It was a big deal. All Steve Austin got was a good swift kick in the ass as Bischoff hung up the phone and left me high and dry. There's no Hogan's here. There's no Flares here. There's not a Dusty Rhodes. And there damn sure isn't an Eric Bischoff here. There's no one they can hold back Steve Austin now. Stunning, tossed it out the window. Never was meant to be. ECW is going to find out firsthand what Steve Austin can do. And I'm going to show everybody here exactly what a true superstar is supposed to do what a true superstar is supposed to be. Because no one here can hold me back. Not Todd Gordon. Not Hulk Hogan. Not Eric Bischoff. Nobody. I'm going to be the superstar that I always knew that I could be. Because there's no one, no one in ECW that can stop me. JR, who was watching my stuff in ECW late Saturday nights on the MSG network from his home in Connecticut, was just getting started in the WWE talent relations department. He was a major factor in getting Vince to think about me in a positive way. And sure enough, one day, my kitchen phone rang. I was still in an arm cast, living in a log house in Georgia. It was Vince McMahon, the most powerful figure on the face of the wrestling planet. Vince had an idea for me. I used to stay up late on Saturday nights in Connecticut and watch Paul Heyman's ECW Wrestling on the MSG Network. When Paul picked Steve up for a few shots after Steve was canned from WCW, I saw a side of Steve that I had not seen on TV before. He was cutting promos that were unbelievably entertaining and thought-provoking. 
It was as if he meant every word he said, and for the most part, at the time, he did. Steve was angry about being fired. He was injured. He had a family to take care of, and he was only making about $500 a week instead of the 6000 or so he was pulling down with WCW. He was wounded in a variety of ways, and he began expressing it. Paul Heyman gave Austin the forum to speak his mind on ECW television, and Eric Bischoff provided Steve with the motivation. Interesting what has to happen in someone's life to allow him to get where he wants to be. Both Kevin Nash and I spoke to Vince McMahon about Steve. Steve was looked at as a very solid in-ring hand, but lacking in charisma. That was the book on Austin at that point in time. Obviously, not enough people in our office were watching Steve raise hell on ECW television programming. Hello? Steve, how you doing? It's Vince McMahon. Hi, Vince. How you doing? Good, pal. Listen, I got an idea for you. Tell me what you think. I want to bring you into WWE as somebody called the Ringmaster. You know, like the Master of the Ring. I was thinking it sounded like a damn circus act. Ringmaster? But remember, I've been fired from WCW by Eric Bischoff and hadn't worked in several months other than making my $500 a night, one night a week. So I said, well, okay. Try not to sound reluctant or apprehensive. So I became the ringmaster. Hey, I had to start somewhere, didn't I? Steve was hired by WWE because he could wrestle. Because he could work with anyone and have a good, solid match. He was hired to be a mechanic, which meant that he would never go higher than the Intercontinental title. Austin entered the World Wrestling Federation in 1995 as an employee of the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, being dubbed the Ringmaster. This was for his abilities in the ring rather than anything he wore. And just like I mentioned before about Steve Austin honing his mic work and mic skills, in turn, they cut that part out of Steve Austin's character as the Ringmaster. He didn't speak. DiBiase spoke for him an ill-fated mistake by the WWF early on. On December 18, 1995, the ringmaster appeared on the Brother Love Show with DiBiase. Yeah, that's next week, but lots more coming up this week. Brother Love right now, and Ted DiBiase's in the ring. We're going to find out. Look at that beautiful belt. Just Who is the new million-dollar champion? For the entire year of 1995, I have searched and searched and searched in the hopes that I could find someone who would exemplify what I feel a million-dollar champion should be. But I searched in vain and in frustration until finally, Brother Love, finally, Brother Love, I have found him. So without any further ado, I give you the ringmaster. (laughs) Come on, where is he? And here he comes, the new... Million-dollar champion, the ringmaster. Everybody, I'm impressed, man. What about you? Oh, very impressed. This man's skills very well known. You talk about a grappler. You talk about a man that can mix it up in any fashion at all. Physical specimen. And although you haven't seen him wrestle, when you do, you'll know why he is a million-dollar champion. He is the million-dollar champion. And Ringmaster, right here in front of everybody, I want to officially crown you my 
million dollar champion. Rival I'm going to go out on a limb here, man. Back up a little bit, brother. Everybody out there in TV land, I'm going to give you a chance to be somebody. Come on, get the camera on that hand right there. I want everybody out there in TV land to touch your screen and feel what it's like to be destined for success. Go ahead, gang. I got it feel up there. Feel what it's like to be well, born a champion, successful. man. You better put your hand up there, McMahon. I didn't come out here just to run my mouth, brother love. I'm here to prove every single thing I say. Me and the Million Dollar Man talk. I'm in the Royal Rumble, man. I'm going to prove how good the ringmaster is. After I toss every single one of the WWF superstars over that rope right there, man, I'll be the one getting the shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It doesn't mean anything compared to the million dollar belt, of course. But in WrestleMania, man, I'm gonna do it all and you're gonna see what the million dollar man and the million dollar champ are gonna accomplish. And then I'll have every single thing that I want out of the WWF. And why is that? Because everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> Steve was a wrestling heel, as it's known in the business. A wrestling heel is a great guy to have on your cards. A guy who can work with virtually anyone and will always give you a great effort. In the old days of WWE, Steve would have been a setup man. In other words, he would have lost to the babyfaces who were going to wrestle in the main event the next time the group was in town. The setup man historically lacked the proper amount of charisma to propel himself to the next level, the main events. I think this was how Steve was viewed when he wrestled as the ringmaster. I booked Steve with the incomparable Shawn Michaels because I wanted to see how Steve would do in a main event level match with a world-class opponent. I can remember road agent Jack Lanza telling me that the matches Sean and Steve had were priceless and had to be seen to be believed. I think this series of matches helped get Steve noticed as the feedback to Vince was positive and intriguing. Maybe we were on to something after all. It was all for the ringmaster as he was awarded DiBiase's million dollar championship belt. This was an unsanctioned title that DiBiase had held in the WWF on and off since 1989. This immediately made the remaster a factor to be reckoned with. This, in turn, made him the main bodyguard for DiBiase going into the next year. In 1996, the remaster's first big matchup was at the Royal Rumble. This is where he entered as the 24th competitor. A good number in hindsight. He eliminated Bob Sparkplug Holly, but was then later tossed out by Fatu, ending his first shot at stardom. The Rumble was later won by the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. Even after his short tenure in the WWF, Steve Austin knew a change needed to be made for his character, and he believed it all started with his name. 
He needed a different gimmick, a different namesake, as the ringmaster was not fitting the true Steve Austin character. Time was going by and I started thinking, this ringmaster name just ain't cutting it. It sucks. I was getting it done in the ring, but my gimmick was lame as hell. The ringmaster had no upside. I felt it, but more importantly, the fans felt it too. I had to change my in-ring persona. Something had to give. Oh, hell yeah. I was still living in Atlanta while I was working with WWE, and I was watching TV one night, and a documentary about the Iceman, a serial killer for hire named Richard Kuklinski, came on. I saw something in this psycho that I could use in my in-ring presentation. I could, as perverse as it sounds, relate to this animal. I pitched my concept to Debbie Bonanzio, Senior Vice President of WWE Creative Services. She was in charge of gimmick characterization, and they started faxing me pages and pages of names. But the names just weren't working. They were all temperature-based things like Fang McFrost, Ivan the Terrible, Ice Dagger, you know, names like that. The names were horrible. Our creative group did not feel my new character idea. I was thinking, man, they don't understand where I'm coming from on this. So I got frustrated as hell. Then one day, I was just sitting there in the kitchen, thinking about the name thing. Jeannie, my second ex-wife, who happens to be English, of course, drank hot tea. Knowing how frustrated I was, she made me a cup. Ah, she said, putting the hot tea down in front of me. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and drink your tea before it gets stone cold. Then she paused, with his light in her eyes, and said, That's your new name, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was thinking, Oh, hell yeah. And they just started introducing me that way. There was no big build-up or explanation or anything like that. There were no vignettes or interviews to provide some background on this cold-blooded guy. The name just started catching on, and I was Stone Cold Steve Austin from Victoria, Texas. But I still wasn't really going anywhere. I had the name, but no one knew how I'd gotten so cold-blooded. I had to get this thing kick-started somehow. Next, Austin started feuding with Savio Vega who had been Austin's tag team partner briefly before Austin turned on him, leaving him laid out in the ring. Savio got some revenge later on, though, attacking Austin while wearing the mask of the Caribbean Kid. Austin and Vega would battle for the next three months, with Austin facing Vega at WrestleMania 12, the debut appearance of Steve Austin at WrestleMania. When the ref got bumped, Austin used the million-dollar title given to him by DiBiase to knock Vega out cold. Austin then put a submission hold on the down competitor as DiBiase revived the ref, getting him to call for the belt and give Austin the victory. Steve Austin won his debut match at WrestleMania. I remember my first WrestleMania with crystal clarity. It was WrestleMania 12 on March 31st, 1996 at the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California. I'd never been to WrestleMania before, so I'd never seen anything like it. It was just amazing to be part of such a show. The Super Bowl and the World Series of Our Business. The feud continued for another few months with Austin and Vega doing what they could to take out each other. This included fighting each other in a dark match at Good Friends Better Enemies, with Vega getting some revenge with a victory. They finally decided on a Caribbean strap match at Beware of Dog 2 in May of 96. The first Beware of Dog had power issues causing much of the show to be missed by fans, prompting the new card to be booked as a makeup to the fans. DiBiase was so confident in Austin that he put his WWF career on the line. Unfortunately for the Million Dollar Man, Austin had decided to get rid of DiBiase, and thus, near the end of the match, 
when both men had tagged three of the four corners, Austin quote-unquote accidentally sent Vega into the fourth corner, giving Vega the victory and ending DiBiase's run with the company, in which he later went to WSW to join the New World Order. With DiBiase no longer backing him, Austin started to work for himself. He was now in charge of one Steve Austin. Steve Austin controlled Steve Austin's career. He did not need anybody, thus the evolution of the Stone Cold character. He became more and more like Stone Cold. As ringmaster, my finishing hold had been the Million Dollar Dream, which was my manager Ted DiBiase's finish, a submission-type hold also known in the business as the Cobra Clutch. After I came up with the Stone Cold Steve Austin gimmick, I was still using that finish. It was okay. It was starting to get over with the fans. But one day at a TV taping in Fayetteville, North Carolina, I remember Michael Hayes came walking up to me and said, Hey, kid, come here. You got a second? I said, yeah. He said, I've been trying to think of a good finish for you. You know, that Cobra Clutch deal is okay, but if you do this other finish, it'd be better. And he showed me what he was talking about. Wrestler Johnny Ace, who now works with JR in talent relations, was doing a version of it in Japan. Called it an ace cr- Hayes said, it's different from Ace's finish because you put the guy's chin on your shoulder, jump up, and then you land on your ass. We got some of the local wrestlers together in the ring and said, hey, you guys mind helping us with this? So I started practicing the stunt of that day. I did it about six times, and Hayes says, pretty cool, huh? I said, yeah, I like it. I started using the stunner as my finishing hold that day, and JR called it the Stone Cold Stunner. I was thinking of something else, but that was the perfect name for my new finisher. It said it all. Thanks, JR. He entered the 96 King of the Ring tournament in June as one of the long shots to win it all. Austin first beat the down spark plug Holly, then took out his old nemesis, Savio Vega. This put Austin in the final four at the pay-per-view. The 1996 King of the Ring would turn out to be one of the greatest landmarks, not just in the career of Austin, but in professional wrestling history. So his first match at the pay-per-view King of the Ring in 1996 was against his adversary from WSW, Marvelous Mark Merrow, formerly Johnny B. Bad. In a bloody match that later required stitches for Austin, he won out, making it to the finals against Jake the Snake Roberts. He had been injured in an earlier match, therefore Austin was given the advantage, or so he thought. Later on, we found out Austin left the arena to get stitched up, apparently, and then came back ready for competition. He wanted the King of the Ring title. Austin dominated the Snake, hammering him repeatedly before ending it with the Stone Cold Stunner. Personally, I remember watching this live and thinking, I want Jake the Snake to win. They made the Snake very sympathetic as a comeback competitor fighting his demons, ready to find success once again in the WWF. I was pushing for Jake the Snake. No, I didn't want this Austin to beat the Snake. This was a good story. Until I saw Austin lay him out with the Stone Cold Stunner to win the King of the Ring. I had goosebumps, literally goosebumps, when I saw him get the victory. I had a feeling that something was happening. History was in the making. Austin 316 all came about at the King of the Ring pay-per-view on June 23, 1996, when WWE announcer Doc Hendricks, Michael P.S. Hayes, formerly a fabulous freebird, told me in the locker room that Jake the Snake Roberts was going to cut a religious promo on me. In my first tournament elimination match at King of the Ring, I got kicked in the mouth pretty badly by Mark Merrow. After I beat him, I had to go to the emergency room and get stitched up. This was going on while Jake Roberts was wrestling Big Van Vader. I came back to the arena right away, never missing a beat, and got ready for my match against Jake, who had won his match. 
My injury just made me more intense because I was already booked to win the match, but I had to be there to do it. When I did my infamous 316 promo after winning King of the Ring, that was a strong-ass promo and none of that stuff was scripted. At the time Doc Hendricks stuck that mic in my face, he had no idea what I was going to say and neither did Vince, JR, or the guys in the TV truck. It all just came out. I remember the promo went something like this. The first thing I want to be done is get that piece of crap, Jake Roberts, of course, out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWE, because I've proven, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Because I've proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. Come on, that's not necessary. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his prime. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice. As the king of the ring. I'm serving notice to every one of the WWE superstars. I don't give a damn who they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWE champion, and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. With this win, it made Austin the 1996 King of the Ring, a major step in any WWF wrestler's career at the time. During his victory speech, Austin made fun of Roberts in terms of his beliefs in the Lord and his religious background. That started off two of my trademark sayings. Austin 316, and Castone Cole said so. It all happened that night at King of the Ring. By the next night, Austin 316 signs and posters had already started showing up in the crowd. When WWE came to me with the idea of doing a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt, I said, just print a black t-shirt with this plain white lettering. Put Austin 316 on the front and a skull on the back with Stone Cold written on it. That t-shirt probably outsold any shirt in the history of wrestling. I kept my hair short at that time, but I wasn't happy with it thinning out more as time went on. I did my 316 debut with Jake Roberts at King of the Ring with very short hair, but the sudden change in my demeanor called for a few adjustments in the way I looked. Stone Cold Steve Austin needed some new visuals. Then I saw Woody Harrelson with his shaved head and natural-born killers, and that was it. I decided to just completely shave my head smooth. I grew a beard and a mustache and recreated myself as a whole new persona. I looked Stone Cold. And I felt stone cold. I tell young wrestlers that they must always be thinking about their TV character and wear down the WWE creative team with their ideas for that character. And above all else, they have to develop a positive working relationship with Vince. Vince is the engine that runs the WWE machine. If he doesn't understand or feel your character, you might as well do something else for a living. Vince was raised as a true North Carolina redneck, and I think the stone cold character took him back to his roots and the people he'd run across. He was given the character support, and Austin 316 was about to explode. 
After winning the King of the Ring, Austin started challenging the biggest and the best to go at it, mainly focusing on the retired, at the time, quote-unquote, Bret the Hitman Hart. He started forfeiting matches, then attacking the guys who were supposed to be his opponents afterwards, saying that they weren't worth it. Austin really spread his wings in the Federation here. He also took out anyone who mentioned Bret Hart's name, including his former partner in WCW, Flying Brian Pillman, who is now in the organization as well. Austin definitely had an impact, winning a free-for-all match, which was a dark match at the time, over WWF heavyweight champion Yokozuna before SummerSlam 1996. He won in part due to Yokozuna breaking the ropes due to his weight, and Austin took advantage, gaining the victory. At Buried Alive in October, Austin was scheduled to take on Savio Vega one last time. But Vega, due to injuries, had to pull out, leaving Austin to go against another wrestler by the name you may have heard of him, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The Stone Cold character is now taking on the future game, Triple H. The two had a competitive match, with Austin being helped by Mr. Perfect, who, due to his feud with Helmsley, came down and took Helmsley's valet. Austin later caught Helmsley with the stunner for the victory, continuing his climb to the top. Austin's main goal stayed the same, though, as he continued to taunt Bret Hart. This was with announcer Jim Ross letting everyone know that Hart would be coming back to the WWF. Finally, Hart returned to answer Austin's challenge, leading to a match at the Survivor Series 1996 in New York at Madison Square Garden. It was a great bout. I was there in person. I think I sat five to ten rows back. You just had a sense. When you heard Steve Austin's promo, You when you heard the glass break as his new music debuted around this time from the old, dingy, you could say classic, ringmaster music to the more modern, glass-breaking, very harsh tone with a heavy beat that you knew stuff was about to happen with this superstar coming out. In the arena at Madison Square Garden, it was electric. You had a feeling you saw a superstar in the making. There were some slight Austin chants even out in the arena as well. The people knew what was going to happen. They knew they saw something new in the World Wrestling Federation. The New York crowd is usually the standard bearer, the barometer of who is over or who is the next big star or the next big thing in professional wrestling. They'll tell you or they will give their stamp of approval. And they certainly did this night. Pink tights. What the hell is that all about, Brett? ballet class. Sunglasses. What a load of crap. So, Brett, you're coming back to continue a legacy? Uh-huh. Stone Cold's going to make your comeback a living hell. You, know, you can start begging for some mercy you right now. Beg for you're mercy. not going to find it. I think you're completely pathetic. You're the best there is, was, and ever will be. Whatever. Son, you're looking at the best there Austin is. Austin 316 rules. I will kick your pink and black ass all over the garden. I'm going to end your you legacy. You will beg for mercy. You know, Brett, the whole world knows that you quit the WWF because you lost to Shawn Michaels. The pretty boy. The boy toy. Kick your ass back to Canada. You couldn't face yourself and you damn sure couldn't face you. You ran away in shame. 
Another time to come I back, son. No sexy when the boy. bell rings and it's time to get down to business, dance, I'm going to take seven years of frustration and being pissed off out on your ass. Think about it like this, Brett. You can finally go home, look yourself in the mirror, and get a little peace of mind because you will know you were indeed beat by a real man. It was a great bout, going from the ring to the Spanish announcer's table, then back again. Austin did get the stunner on Hart, but took too long to make the cover. A frustrated Austin tried two more covers quickly thereafter, but just could not keep Hart down. A few minutes later, after weakening Hart with the Texas Cloverleaf, Austin locked on the Million Dollar Dream. This was his former manager's submission hold, and he carried it over, even with the Stone Cold character. This was only to have Hart get to the ropes, and flip off, pinning Austin's shoulders to the mat to steal the victory. A very famous spot that even Bret Hart did at WrestleMania against Roddy Wright Piper for the Intercontinental title. Austin lost the matchup, lost the opportunity to defeat the legendary Bret Hart. But in turn, it made Austin that night. It was a great match, and in the fans' eyes, we saw a superstar in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve had another run at Hart, at the WWF Middle East Cup tournament after Austin had beaten Brett's brother, Owen, and The Undertaker to reach the finals. But Brett won out, again keeping Austin from the big WWF victory. And we close out 96 with Austin again channeling and going after Bret Hart. He would not stop until he defeats the Hitman to get to the next level in the World Wrestling Federation. And as we go into 1997, the Stone Cold character was born and the World Wrestling Federation would never, ever be the same again. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, Podbay, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, BTBcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at BTBcast. Comments and suggestions can be sent to contact at BTBcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. Old school fans, what a two-year period for one superstar's career in professional wrestling. From being fired by the number two promotion in the world to a hardcore indie promotion, basically, in ECW. Having free reign, the cuffs off. The extreme superstar Steve Austin was born, which led him to being signed by the big time, the World Wrestling Federation. But those Mike skills that he learned in ECW weren't utilized as he was paired with a mouthpiece in the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. That didn't last very long as the ringmaster would die. And in the 1996 edition of The King of the Ring, Austin 316 was born. And Stone Cold Steve Austin was ready to set the professional wrestling world on fire. No one would have anticipated the heights Steve Austin would take the industry to, and it all started 
during this two-year time frame. As we wrap up episode three, we'll look ahead to our next edition, episode four in Stone Cold's legendary career as we cover another monumental period, this time one single year, because so much happened within this year, the year 1997 in Steve Austin's rising career. Get ready to relive Austin 316 in full swing as the Rattlesnake will set his eyes on the Intercontinental Championship and the Rocket, the Blackheart, Owen Hart. Also this year, Stone Cold will meet one of his greatest rivals in Dwayne The Rock Johnson. All this and more in Episode 4. So until then... I'm your old school party host wrapping up this special edition of the Stone Cold Chronicles. Until next week, stay old school, my friends.